Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Infrastructure improves everyday life. A new bridge or bus lane makes the journeys of local people easier. Town centre improvements help local businesses and cement pride in place. And upgrades in local heritage sites strengthen the local economy and build civic society. These are the things that people rely on every day in communities up and down the country. The infrastructure of everyday life. That's the opening line to the new UK government levelling up fund. Along with the new community renewal fund, these are the schemes from the UK government that are replacing EU funding across the UK and Wales. Within Wales, noticeably less funding. Joining Kerry and I this evening to discuss these funding changes and the seemingly constant levelling up battle are Kelly Byrne. Hello. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Byrne, Chief Executive <laughs> of the Capital Region City Deal. Good evening, Richard. Good evening, everyone. And Nick Clifton, Professor of Economic Geography and Regional Development at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Hello, good evening. Okay, evening, both. Thanks for joining us. Nick, before we kick off and look at this latest programme, this yeah. use of public funds to level up, it's not new. It, you know, this is the latest in a, in a series of uh, programmes that stretch back some time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's right. So I suppose any conversation about levelling up You've got to have two conversations, really, I suppose. One is, I suppose, to try and separate out the idea of regional policy as a kind of general thing versus the more sort of specific debate around levelling up, which is the current dominant iteration of, of, of regional policy. But uh, as I guess, you know, we all know, it is also a word that is associated with some, how do I say this, some particular politics uh, and some particular controversy so i think it's important to try and distinguish between the between the two in in the conversation i mean in terms of regional policy i mean i think you know it's a truism really that the two things will have the most significant impact on your life chances which is where you live and where you're born and that as a general rule remains true so i think it's probably reasonable to say i mean some people might might disagree with this i suppose but any reasonably coherent view of social justice probably suggests that we shouldn't leave significant aspects of people's life chances to those two things about which they have no control. But okay, they have some control about where they live, I suppose, if they can move somewhere else, but that's a separate debate. But I think that's, that's the basic point. So then that takes you into a, into a debate about, you know, what do we mean by regional policy or development policy and, and who, who is it for? You know, as, as you said, um, and I suppose there's an implicit assumption there, or an acknowledgement that, um, without getting into the politics with the, with the small p of the whole debate, that markets don't work perfectly. Right? If markets worked perfectly, we wouldn't need regional policy. Because in the long run, price, in, in the way that supply and demand adjust, prices would adjust, labour costs would go down in certain places, people would move, firms would shift about, activity would move, markets would clear, and in the long run, there's always flux, but there would be a kind of a degree of, of equilibrium. And obviously, we, we see very persistent, given that we've had regional policy in the UK for over 100 years, and, and big chunks of that have been in the same places, we see that this doesn't happen. So, so there's a fundamental acknowledgement that, you know, there is a role for regional policy, and it's probably anchored in some form of concept of social justice. So I suppose that's regional policy, and I, I won't say that much about levelling up, I suppose, because we'll, we'll come on but, to that, obviously. Yeah. I think that's quite a good scene setter. And I, I, 
Kelly, you know, I think it's fair to say you've worked in this area about regional policy and levelling up before the current terminology. But this current government has struggled uh, to define it. Even Boris wasn't able to do that when asked. Like, do you have a view what it means or, or what it should mean? Yeah, so I mean, I think for me, and I agree with a lot of what Nick said about this being rooted in, you know, societal impact and societal issues. So it's definitely about reducing inequalities between and across places. But that still means improved outcomes across the board. You know, I think that's a that's the really difficult thing, isn't it? This isn't about chopping the heads off the tall poppies. It's not about levelling down to level up. So, you know, for me, I think it's much more of a policy thread, an agenda, rather than just a fund. You know, I think they're two quite distinctive things. So, yeah, it's, it's about standards of living. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm sure we all accept that. But it's, it has to be about the productivity problems and issues. And I think what I feel really, really strongly about within the levelling up agenda is, yeah, we get its region on regional imbalances. But there's something about issues within regions as well, which I think is really important and we can't miss it. So this week, Robert Huggins produced the UK Competitiveness Index 2021. And if you look at, you know, Blyna Grant, Merthyr, still in the bottom 10 of all unitary local authority areas in the UK. So yeah, levelling up is a big issue across regions and region on region, but for us, in the Cardiff Capital region, it's a big issue within our region as well. So micro matters as part of this agenda, Kerry, and I think it's really simplistic to talk about, you know, north-south debates. When you zoom in close, the issues are hyper-local, and sometimes policy doesn't work best at that hyper-local level. It's very nuanced and it's very distinctive, and I think that's one of the considerations we probably need to bring into the discussion tonight. Yeah, I mean, I suppose re regional policy is typically being framed around the 12 standard regions of the UK. So, you know, without getting to the debate, obviously we've got asymmetric devolution, so that includes Wales, or Ireland, Scotland, but North East, North West, etc. So, they, they, you know, those are those are quite big places. Um, then obviously, if you look at regional scale, then yes, you see that some regions tend to be doing better than others. And, we just had Rob Huggins is his indices mentioned there, and obviously there are places like London, the southeast, and the east of England that are always at the top of that ranking, and typically in the last 10, 15 years have been pulling away at the top. But it's also true that if you look within those regions, uh, I mean, London is a classic case in point. I mean, some of the, if not absolute, in absolute terms, uh, you know, some of the most deprived bits of the UK are, are in London and some of the absolutely most wealthy um, bits of the UK are in London as well. But, you know, within the Cardiff City region as well, of course, um, there are pretty similar disparities in, in, you know, in outcomes, however you want to measure them. And obviously that, you know, in, in a relatively small spatial area is something that's quite sort of troubling, really, because, you know, they've, they've persisted for a long time. And to come back to the broader discussion about regional policy, you know, with the which is perhaps an unresolved debate. You know, we've either not done enough regional policy or levelling up by other names in the past, or we've done some of the right things, but we just haven't done enough of it. And I suppose, you know, part of my reservations about launching into a into a another set of arrangements is that we we are doing this we tend to do in the UK without really resolving the previous set of arrangements. So you know, we've had 
regional development agencies. We've had obviously we had we had wealth development purely in economic terms. We got rid of those. We've done other things, you know. So on a broader scale, you know, we do have a bit of a habit in the UK of um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater on on a political cycle, which is yeah, I think I... is being problematic. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, Nick, I was just going to say, I agree, you know, it, it can't be jammed today, you know, some of this stuff is going to come through slow, structural change, isn't it? it it's that sustained attempt, and you spoke about vehicles such as regional development agencies, but it is taken, you know, I know we always say it, and it's tried to say it, but it is taken a suitably long-term approach to this stuff, because these issues are not easy, are they? They're very complex as I say, there are hyper local levels, so they're very, very nuanced. So, yeah, I, I think we do have to apply a different lens. I think, you know, what, what excites me about Leveling Up really is the potential, not just to talk about a fund and capital projects, and just wonder as well, Nick, what your view is on some of the, you know, the R&D stuff, because we always argue, don't we, for sort of a bigger slice of the pie. I wonder if we should be arguing for a, a bigger pie, you know, for Wales and regions within Wales in particular. Um, yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. And obviously, very recently, the um, science spending review, not exactly the correct term, is, escapes my mind, but that, that's, that's a UK government. So that's just come out. And that's basically this idea that, um, you know, we've been talking about spending more on R&D for a long time. I think the target is something like 2.1% of GDP. And we're, yeah. So to basically, to to... to, to get up to that target, we need to spend another, I think something like 25 billion. And Nesta did a, did a report a couple of years ago called uh, the missing 4 billion, which is basically, it's, it's this, it's basically saying that if, if we want to level up R&D spending in the UK, then we basically need to spend another 4 billion pounds, which is a big chunk of money. So I mean, that, that comes on to a, another debate about the, the scale of resources. So, you know, it's partly about the scale. And then of course, it's partly about the way you actually spend this money. And if you look at, um, if you look at where R&D money is concentrated in the UK, um, it tends to be in the sort of places that you might expect. So it's, you know, it's London, Southeast, Oxford Cambridge Research Triangle, etc., and that's not surprising because obviously, you know, by its, by its very nature, R and D spending is long-term, agglomerative, cumulative um, investments that you expect to return on in you know five, ten, fifteen, twenty years. So, if you have a very centralised model of spending then that's actually quite hard to escape from because if you've been doing this for like, you know, since, since the post-war period, you're basically locked in, into this kind of pattern of spending. So it needs a serious, it needs a serious commitment to do something about it. And it also needs a serious embedding in the institutional capacity to actually use this money effectively. And it also, at the risk of stating the obvious, needs joining up with a levelling up agenda. And I think at the moment, that's not really been the case. It's always a pleasure when a uh, guest sort of semi-gazumps your question because it means you're on the right wavelength. Uh, just to sort of follow on from that, uh, particularly Kelly, I think that was something that you, you just raised there, which is an interesting question that in my mind always crops up when I think about levelling up. So what is the difference between a well-funded, strategically designed existing UK government departments funding their work well and a dedicated UK levelling up department 
that has a remit to level up? What's the, what's the difference between those two things on the ground? I think, for, I mean, for me, it makes sense, doesn't it? And it makes a difference when government departments work without boundaries, you know, taking away um, some of those silos, which which is hard to do, I think. You know, even in my own space now, you tend to organise things around themes and issues. And I think what we're finding increasingly, Richard, this stuff isn't linear, is it? It's not stuff that you can sort of put into neat verticals. It's all horizontal. It cross cuts. And, you know, some really interesting points raised by Nick there about R&D spending. But typically we think of R&D spending, don't we, in relation to the tradable economy. You know, it's equally got to apply to the foundational economy, the everyday economy. There's things like the knowledge economy and digital and data and how we do these things differently are equally applicable. So I think for me, you know, taking away some of those some of those boundaries is just is, is a really important just a policy approach. I suppose what remains to be seen is how effective this is, because you, you can fund things effectively, as you say. But I think in the past, what we've had is, you know, if, if you have a fund that's come from a particular department with a particular objective, you tend to get one off unconnected projects rather than comprehensive programs of activities that are much more far reaching. And as I say, you can blur the boundaries a little bit. You can think more strategically. You can think about impact. And I think, you know, being much more outcome focused is, is really, really critical to that. Is there a danger though that levelling up in terms of definition just sort of becomes a euphemism for spending money um, as opposed to the kind of focused brief of the Minister for Leveling Up, um, which I believe at the moment is Michael Gove, is that right, Kerry? Yeah, Michael Gove. So so he's in. The, he has a remit to level up and um, work across departments, but his department for levelling up is responsible for things such as the Future Shared Prosperity Fund, um, should it materialise, the Community Renewal Fund and all these other funds. And I just wonder if the, the kind of clarity of the understanding about what levelling up is, is confused by the idea that everything is kind of being levelled up at the same time. So research and development spending may be levelled up, education spending may be levelled up, transport infrastructure may be levelled up, but it's a kind of euphemism just for spending more money, isn't it? Yeah, there's the spending money, but it's the targeting angle, isn't it? And it's understanding what matters and what's going to make a difference. So I sit on the board of Research England, which is part of UK research and innovation. And the levelling up agenda is, is paramount for us as well. And I think that, you know, there's the levelling up fund. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about the community renewal fund and the shared prosperity fund. But, you know, in the comprehensive spending review, we saw a massive boon for R&D tax credits. Innovate UK has now got a £1.1 billion annual budget. The British Business Bank has been given about £100 million for a patient capital fund in Wales, which is all about scale of activity. The National Infrastructure Bank has £12 billion that they're lending at gilt bond rates. There's innovation deals, there's the capital programmes. And I think, you know, for levelling up to work, it's got to be more than just, you know, a fund. The conception has to go through all of these different things. So, as I say, I mentioned UK research and innovation, which I'm particularly close to. But, you know, there's levelling up in terms of the integrated review of defence. There's the health agenda. There's the social care agenda. It's, it's potentially massive. So the job, I think, Richard, becomes one of coordination, alignment. So we all eagerly wait this levelling up white paper. I don't think it's got all of the answers, but neither should it. And I think, you know, we've all got a role and contribution to make, haven't we, into shaping 
informing and influencing that agenda. So we shouldn't see ourselves as passive recipients either, I think. I would agree most of that. I mean, I think to come back to the, you know, the fundamental point about what is, what's the aim, and I suppose it was when, when pressed the other day, Michael Gove basically said it was about quality of opportunity. Now, you know, that's all right, but the quality of opportunity is, a, is, a, is an intermediate outcome at best, isn't it? Any number of people could, and that depends how you define opportunity as well, but any, any number of people could have the same opportunity, exactly how that's defined, but there's a whole load of variables, processes, and influences outside of their control that determine or mediate how those opportunities are translated into outcomes. So whether those are outcomes of the job that you get, the earnings that you've got, your well-being, your health, your life expectancy, and all the rest of it. So my, my personal worry, you know, equality of opportunity is a very long way from uh, equality of outcome. And there are lots of things that, <laughs> that happen, many of which people are not in control of between that opportunities and outcomes and then if perish the thought i was being cynical i would say well the danger of that sort of wording is it's um it almost is pushing the responsibility at the individual level that if this doesn't work well you've had the opportunities you know you've blown it haven't you which, which is a bit like some of the rhetoric that we've seen around you know without going completely off topic around some of the issues in the pandemic about you know Essentially, it's your responsibility to sort of take care and you must do what you feel fit and all that kind of stuff, which is, which you know, which this for me seems code to, well, if this all goes wrong, you know, well, we can tell you. So, you know, that, that would be my fundamental worry about this equality of opportunity as a, as a sort of defining or overarching principle. Yes, you can't have the same outcome everywhere and neither should you. That's not going to happen. Blind Egg Gwen isn't going to have the same outcome as... Cowbridge or somewhere, is it? I mean, all the Bailey and it's not going to happen. But, but, you know, there's no reason why you can't compare like or more like for like places based on their capacity, physical endowments, who lives there, all that kind of stuff. So there's no reason, there's no reason why, you know, you can't compare Dorset and Carlisle or somewhere. Like, yes, you, you can compare those in a more meaningful way than you can Manchester and, and wherever, some village in, in, in a rural area, you know. So, so, it, You've got to, so you've got there's got to be some nuance there. So obviously, yes, equality of opportunities is is weasel words for me. Um, equality of outcome is not realistic, and nor should it be. But there is a kind of middle ground that will perhaps allow us to say something a bit more sensible as to whether policy has been successful in the long run, and it needs to be the long run, as I think we agree, and that's another issue. I think. I think one of that that raises a really interesting question. By you, you, you touched on it earlier, Nick. Uh, what is a region? Uh, who defines what a region is? And I think, particularly Kelly, I mean, one of the things that sort of strikes me is that the the capital region in in Southeast Wales is formally, at the very least, a relatively newly defined region. Uh, what what makes the capital region a region, a uh, coherent region? And what are the differences between the, the the various territories within that region? Yeah, I suppose, Richard, it is a region because, you know, the political leaders say it's a region. So it's defined by functional economic geography. 
But I suppose, you know, more than that, it's, it's this bond, isn't it? You know, feeling that you feel part of something that's bigger than just the local level. Um, so, you know, I do think that there is an important political dimension to this place-based agenda. Clearly for us in the capital region, 10 local authorities, so it runs from Monmouthshire in the east across to Bridgend in the west. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fairly big scale. It's, it's got scale enough to do stuff, which I think is really important. Critical mass is, is really um, vital here. But yeah, interestingly, you've got the Valleys dimension. And as I've said, from the UK Competitiveness Index, we've got some real issues in the Northern Valleys. We've got some issues in our rural communities, particularly in relation to access to services, deprivation as well. And then, of course, we've got the cities, uh, Newport and the capital city, Cardiff. But then you've got this whole sort of sway, the sort of middle tier towns that sit in the middle as well. So some, you know, real, in, real interesting differences within the region as well. And I think, as Nick just said, you know, economic development isn't a uniform process. It's not going to happen the same everywhere. It takes distinction. It takes courage to do things quite differently in each of those areas and not expect the same results. So, yeah, I think, you know, coming back to my point about the sort of political perspective, you know, we've done a really good job in Wales, I think, of crafting the principles for regional investment in Wales, which is, is good. It's laudable. But, you know, local authorities in particular are closest to some of those local issues and problems. So these principles about subsidiarity and making sure as well that, you know, whilst we can talk about levelling up in economic and equality and outcomes terms, surely it's got to be a bit about the power um, to communities to make decisions, you know, to, to do things on their terms, to set out what feels right, to set out and feel like they're leading their own agenda and shaping their own destiny. I think that's a really, really important uh, dimension of, of what we're talking about this afternoon as well. Nick, like Kelly's just talked us through um, a regional approach and the regional side of funding has been important in Wales now for a long, long time. The EU funding area was a, was an area which was defined and the one thing which Leveling Up is doing, it's allowing areas that didn't have access to that kind of funding to, to bid this time and we had some quite big successes for areas such as Wrexham, Powys, etc., should this kind of desire to to replace the EU funding as it was like for like, is that kind of unfair or should we be looking at new kind of dimensions to fund uh, projects across Wales? And, and should we wait and see what this kind of process delivers longer term rather than the first few months? But obviously, you know, Wales had, still has the end of 23, doesn't it? Had the European fund for 20 odd years. So... In one sense, we shouldn't fetishise that because it's reasonable to argue that that has not, despite being quite a large amount of money, has not had a transformative effect on many outcomes for the Welsh economy. I mean, if you think of the, you know, the basic kind of convergence rule, about 75% of GDP and therefore you get convergence funding, you know, there was not really much in the way of conver convergence with 20 odd years of funding. Now, of course, the problem is, there's, there's no, there is no counterfactual there. We don't know what would have happened. I mean, people who are more uh, econometrically minded than me have modeled that and so on, but you know, essentially there's, there's no counterfactual there. We don't know what would have happened without that funding. It's clear in terms of the, the volume of the cash, then that is very significantly lower now than would have been received by structural funds. I mean, I think it was something that, what, what, what it, 
300 and odd million per year down to sort of 50 million. So it's, it's, a, it's a very big drop. But, you know, so, so that, that's clearly going to be an effect. But as I say, that is not going to pretend that everything was massively rosy with European funding because it was very top down. It was very procedural. And particularly in the early days of structural funding, you know, Wales was quite, quite poor at involving, uh, well, certainly the private sector. And we're certainly quite poor of involving certain actors in bidding for that money. So um, that, this is a very long-winded way of saying, you know, let's not fetishize that and say that was fantastic and it was all rosy and brilliant. But at the same time, you know, getting rid of that um, doesn't necessarily mean it will magically become better at involving a full range of stakeholders and, and have greater capacity and be able to bid in to these funds, which, you know, we have to, we've got to remember are talking about levelling up now, are competitive, top-down UK funding costs. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of work Kelly's doing. He's obviously trying to build up that regional, sub-regional capacity to actually get involved in these funds, which is which is something that you something you need. And if you don't have it, you won't be successful. Can I just, just say on that point, you know, sometimes we consume ourselves with funding programmes. Sometimes it's about our ability to fund programmes so sorry if this is a, a cheap plug, but in the Cardiff Capital region, with our £500 million investment fund, we've, we've really asked ourselves the question, you know, what's the role of the public sector here? Is it just to be a funder or is it to be a co-investor, taking risk for reward, thinking about how we convene around the big industrial societal problems of the day? How do we shape and stimulate new markets? You know, the, the public sector is sometimes just seen as a de-risker or a, a troubleshooter. And I, I don't think that's the case at all. So and I think with our investment programme, what we've tried to do, and I suppose maybe it's our own approach to levelling up, is to say, look, some of that money needs to go into meeting the basic needs of every part of the region. So sustainable public transport, digital infrastructure, unlocking things like um, housing sites, sites and premises, energy infrastructure, like the LEV network. And the rest of the fund then gets targeted where the market takes it. But our role, back to your point, Nick, to markets you know, make better servants or masters, is trying to direct the market to do good things, you know? So, you know, for, for example, um, you know, can we invest in skills and talent capability? You know, can we look at entrepreneurial um, experiments like strength in places? How do we get the supplier effects to really deeply root in supply chains so you get local benefits? So I think for me, yeah, funding programs is a really important part of Levelnet, but how we fund programs and try and co-invest, maximize leverage, live off the interest and not spend down the capital, I think is a really, really important principle that we've got to give some time and attention to as well. Nick, one of, one of the things you mentioned a little bit earlier is uh, what's happening in this kind of policy elsewhere. And I think it's fair to say that much of the industrialised world is looking how to do levelling up with the ex-industrial areas and things like that. And when I was reading about this particular area, the area that stood out for me was what Germany have done, how West Germany have looked the levelling up with East Germany since reunification. We're talking 30 plus years of an approach here, and the figures are just so different to what we're looking at. It, you know, it's two trillion they're looking to use that. Well, not just in a Wales context here, but you know, it's a 15 million people in East Germany, and they're spending 71 billion a year. Do, do you think 
Britain really takes this kind of leveling up, addressing the north-south divide, the productivity issue we talk about. Are we taking it seriously when we compare what we do to somewhere like Germany and the figures involved there? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that is a very good example. You, you may have listened to it yourself. There's a, on, the, on the Centre for Cities, there's a, there was a podcast about a month ago where they, they had, uh, I think, two or three people from, from Germany talking about that. I mean, in a word, no, we're not. I mean, if you, you just you mentioned the figures yourself, didn't you? I mean, between 1990 and 24, again, not not we're coming back to funding again, but, you know, when, when, when the numbers involved are that big, you know, you've really got to, you've got to take some notes. Yeah, so 1990 to 2014, like you say, Two trillion euros, so 71, 71 billion per year for 24 years. You know, I mean, leveling up fund is 4.8 billion. <laughs> you know, so the, the, the numbers are completely off the scale. Now, obviously, you know, that, that, was, that was a project that was very different in some ways, of course, because it was, you know, you were taking a, a very large region stroke country and trying very quickly for the political reasons to to achieve some sort of synergy with with another one so you know there was almost no choice in a way but i mean if that hadn't been done then i think you know the political consequences would have been extremely difficult but you know like you say look at the outcomes i mean i think i scribbled down myself i mean i think an estimate of talking about productivity i think productivity in the former east germany was 60 percent 60 percent of west german average in 1990 and it's now 85%. That's pretty big achievement to go from 60% to 85%. But as we said, you know, that was an enormous amount of resource. Now, some of that was about completely restructuring institutions, you know, and then essentially imposing an entire economic system on, on, on another country. You know, that obviously takes an enormous amount of resource. It wasn't done perfectly. I mean, there are lots of issues around who owns a lot of this infrastructure in 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 eastern Germany? And there are some of the some are similar issues that we've seen related to Brexit and so on. You know, places that, that feel that they had things done to them rather than for them. Um, so you know, let's not pretend that it's perfect, but you know, the scale is just different. But the outcomes are quite clear. Kelly, one of the interesting things, and I, I would recommend anyone listening to look at the Centre for Cities work on this. It really, I found it quite fascinating. One of the things the Germans did was very much see levelling up as wider than these kind of pots of funding for capital and things like that. But very much linked it into the welfare system, such as pensions, unemployment benefits, and the living standards in those areas. Do you think we should be looking at wider policy levers than what we traditionally do in these areas? So perhaps the minimum wage and things like that to, to address the levelling up. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking earlier and um, the real living wage, which is, which is something we're doing some work on at the moment, could mean 24 million annually to us just in the region. There's 20 odd thousand jobs at the moment. I think it's 22% of all jobs in the region at the moment are not within the sort of living real living wage definition. So, you know, just in terms of economic productivity, it could mean huge things for us. But yeah, I think, you know, there's some really interesting debates in Wales at the moment about universal basic income, a four day week. And this is this is the innovation that we need. You know, innovation isn't just about, as I say, narrow definitions of technology and what businesses do. You know, there's social innovation here, civic regarding innovation. We've got to rethink productivity, haven't we, in a well-being sense. 
which I think for us in Wales, we have a real opportunity to pioneer. That in itself, Kerry, could be a competitive advantage. It's how we do things here in the region, in this country. So yeah, I think we've got to stop, take note, and think about how we can bring all of this together as a part of our approach. Nick, I don't know if you want to pick up on that, but I, I do want to continue my German exploration because the <laughs> one other, they, they did some really good things. But one other area which I think is, is very pertinent to Wales is that the, the levelling up in East Germany was accompanied by a kind of fundamental reform of their kind of local government and municipality side of things. They reformed local government, so it was a lot less administrations and much uh, larger, stronger municipalities. Do you think, you know, that's one of the elephants in the room in Wales we're going to have to grab sooner rather than later and look at our local government system? I think it is, as we know, it, that's something that has been debated on and off quite a long time, you know, and there's been talk of coming down from 22 units authorities to, you know, 10 or insert lower number here for quite a long time. Now, obviously, with the city region agenda, we kind of fudged it a bit um, because, you know, we, we've still got unitary authorities that have got their own statutory responsibilities and their own their own education boards and, and, and planning rules and, and all the rest of it. And the city regions at, at the moment are, are, are a sort of construct, as we know, that sort of sits somewhere in between functional economic region and administrative region and isn't sort of quite one or the other. Perhaps it's perhaps it's part of a transition process, and that's the evolution. But you know, I don't, I don't think it's it's it's, it's sensible. Given, I mean, this is an environment where some local authorities are quite small anyway, and have got limited resource during the best of times. And then, of course, you know, with what's happened in the last ten years or so, real terms cuts in in, in local government resource, then they really haven't got much scope to do anything apart from the bare statutory minimum. That's clearly not a very helpful base to start from in, in doing some of the innovative capacity requiring things that um, that we need to do now obviously i know there's an argument that says you know necessities and mother invention etc but i think you know i think you can take that too far i think you probably have at the moment can i just say on that note yeah just just really quickly i mean one thing of note is the new corporate joint committee structures in wales which went live in legislature on the on the 1st of april 2021 so nick i suppose that's posing some important questions about the work that's best done at the national level what gets best done at the regional level because you need scale and critical mass and one of those things that is still really important for local authorities to do because they're closest to some of these very hyper-local issues. So yeah, under the legislation now, coming across to the new corporate entities, uh, things like duties around regional transport planning and thinking about how you know we make that much more sustainable because we've got a bigger field, pardon the pun, to play upon. But an SDP, a strategic development plan, so how do we coordinate and align land use at a regional scale? And of course, things like economic well-being powers, because as I say, you know, some of these things, you're right, Nick, don't work awfully well at a local level because they get diluted. But some things, if you think about some of the big moves we need to make in terms of energy, you know, influence in the housing market, you know, thinking about some of these big picture issues like R&D and innovation investment, you know, there's a strong argument to do these things at a regional scale. I think the question that poses, Nick, is one you raised earlier about how do we make our institutions fit for purpose and how do we build 
uh, institutional capability to do regional public investment really, really well. Oh, thanks very much for trailing our upcoming season of local government uh, before the local government elections before uh, next year. On, on that, Kelly, if I can pick up, what, how do you see the, the city regions or the regions in Wales interacting with those CJCs? Because that's, it is another step in the ladder or the spectrum of powers perhaps within Wales. What do you see the future relationship being like between the city regions and CJC? Well, we see them as being one and the same in, in the capital region. So our mm. intention is to lift and shift. So you've got the city deal as one funding program sat within a wider corporate entity. So rather than being defined by a program, it's about having the freedom and flexibility to put identity and personality to a bigger corporate structure. Um, our city deal is really important. It's a, it's a key funding lever, but it's only one. I think, you know, the job of work, as I was saying earlier, is to develop the other funding levers, opportunities, the other programmes, the other services, the other functions, and to become um, a proper city region in economic terms. And I think, you know, um, Kerry spoke very eloquently about Germany and, you know, some of the work that they've done at a regional level there. And we, we should be aspiring. You know, Stuttgart was always the example, wasn't it? It's Cardiff's twinned with Stuttgart. So we took loads of inspiration from those in the early days. We've still got so much to learn. And I think so much about this levelling up agenda is looking outward, you know, being really global, keeping our friends close in Europe because we've got so much to learn, but also looking much wider at an international scale. Keeping that door open is going to be incredibly important. Just kind of uh, following that up, I, I appreciate that Kerry was doing a very good job of painting Wales as East Germany uh, in the previous questions. So I'm not going to quite go there. Um, but politically, it's close, I suppose. No, let's not go there. One of the interesting things is that levelling up is largely perceived as an England project. And in that circumstance, uh, the UK government with its and the Union Parliament in Westminster is largely dealing with sort of regional mayors um, and a lot of the levelling up bids um, and other city regions. In Wales, there's this, this slightly different structure where we have like the Union Parliament in Westminster, the National Parliament in Cardiff, and then the city regions and local government beneath that. Is, does that mean that Wales is disadvantaged with regards to this process or is there some kind of advantage in there in terms of you know, taking the whole gamut of levelling up. I'm sort of reminded of what you were saying earlier, you were discussing perhaps the devolution of welfare powers. I mean, there's an opportunity if Wales had some of those powers that maybe it would be able to vary some of those elements or do you think that's not a, a runner at all? The difference I think for us now, especially at a city region level, I was just talking about CJCs, as we work in a multi-level governance environment now and, and you know, that, that's something for us to get used to, isn't it? Because it used to be about, you know, local governments, Welsh government, UK government. You've now got city regions establishing in Wales and you've got the, the presence of UK government in Wales. So I think, you know, the, the, the job of work is for us to get our heads around working in this new multi-governance environment and thinking, I, I suppose, with a sense of enlightened self-interest about what we can achieve and what is possible. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, they're obviously different scales that different things are articulated on, and that's part of the challenge. I mean, in, in terms of the, the Wales situation, I mean, it's sort of, I think it's got some pros and cons, really. I mean, I think having a political body that is elected has a mandate without getting into the debates around the ins and outs of some of the 
more micro level politics um, to act on behalf of Wales as a whole and mediate some of the interaction with, with UK government is potentially an advantage. I suppose, you know, on the flip side of that is that we know that the, the UK government as it currently is, is quite keen on a, what's the best way to put this, you know, is quite keen on a, on a version of the union that not everybody who's not in England would necessarily agree with. And that, that's an unresolved bit of conflict, really. And I, I suppose, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, the missing kind of devolution white paper that's going to go along with this is, is you, know, you, you need both, really, because obviously if you're going to have policy instruments at a UK level that asymmetrically devolve bits of the UK can be into, that potentially causes some problems. I mean, and, and there was there was a well-publicised example. This wasn't there some... some months ago around, I can't remember exactly what the fund was, but it was to do with, uh, what was it? Was it Help to Grow or something like that? It was basically, a, it was basically SME support. It was kind of small, small business support to, to help exporting. And the gist of it seemed to be that, you know, an office was going to be opened in, in Cardiff and Welsh Cup didn't know anything about it. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but, you know, it, even the perception of that happening is, is not really very helpful. And as I say, you know, it, it's sort of it, it's indicative of this unresolved devolution situation, which which is an England problem as well. You know, I mean, that was going back to the regional development agencies where we started quite a, quite a while ago in, in this in this conversation. I mean, you know, that was part of the rationale, rightly or wrongly, for getting rid of those. Is that you know they were kind of undemocratic. They were operating, you know, within regions without a mandate. And, you know, there were moves in the, at the time for, um, to have elected, you know, regional assemblies in England, and that was voted against. And then once that happened, sort of the writing was on the wall a bit with, with the RDAs because, because of the perceived lack of democratic mandate, which was then mitigated back towards the centralising tendencies that we have in the UK in terms of policy, which is, you know, has been a long-standing issue and is unresolved. We've talked about the UK government in this, and we can't get away from the fact that what was previously Welsh uh, funding to decide where to spend on, the UK government is doing that. And it's in a department headed up by Michael Gove, uh, who's also the minister in charge of the union. Is, is it a little cynical to say that, you know, this is part of a strengthening the union strategy, or is it just a combination of things and the cards have fallen as they've been dealt, as it were? Or is that just, you know, looking too much into it, Kelly, do you think? It's, it's hard to know, isn't it? You know, there's no doubt that connecting the union is a big policy theme. Um, some really interesting and good ideas coming out of Welsh Government in relation to radical federalism. I think, you know, it, it's hard for me to say at the end of the day. I think we've just got to be pragmatic, haven't we? And get on with it because at the end of the day this is about civic virtue and making sure that wales the cardiff capital region gets access to all of the funds opportunities investment networks available to it irrespective of where they sit you know i, I agree you know I, I think investment into wales and i think the criticism that parts of wales got more money than previously i think that could just be a legacy of the previous eu area certain areas didn't get these big capital funds like what what is your take on that ultimately you can't you can't take the politics out of it you know even if you ignore the the union 
aspects of things. I mean, you've only got to look at the methodology for various bits of the, of the levelling up fund in terms of where this money got, got spent to realise that it's just it's naive to take the politics out of it. I mean, you know, as you know, you know, these it was competitive, you bid into a pot, anyone can bid, but essentially if you were, you know, towards the top of the list of regions or sorry, local authorities that were were designated in more in need, then you basically had a better chance of getting a successful outcome. Okay, that's great. But as we know, the, the, the methodology by which you appeared further up the list was not uncontested. So without kind of getting into all that again, as I say, we, we, you know, it included measures around, you know, di distance to travel to, to, to jobs. Uh, it included things like population density um, for some of the funds. So, you know, you don't have to be a genius to, to work out that slightly more sparsely populated areas with with a population that has to travel slightly further to work typically involve more rural type areas and i was just scribbling down the notes earlier on i think it was um i think in the first round so 14 yeah 14 places were successful that were wealthier local authorities than than the average and they all of those had at least one tory mp you know including the, the famous example of uh uh, Rishi Shunak's um, Richmond constituents. So, you know, I don't want to go on about that, but I just think it's just, you, you, you can't ignore the fact that there's, there's, there's politics involved in this. And I mean, I think unfortunately that makes it, it does make people rather, rather cynical, both in terms of, you know, how, how funds are allocated, but it also, to come back to some of the points about long-term, about East Germany, where they did it for 20 odd years, it, it makes people suspicious or cynical that this has been removed from the political cycle. You know, in places like the Basque countries, ultimately you just have to do that. Otherwise, you just it's rinse and repeat as we do in the UK, which is invent funds, invent structures, whether it's RDAs, whether it's whatever it is, and then we run them for a bit, and then that government goes out, like RDAs and New Labour, Tories come in the coalition, they get rid of them. Was it because they thought they were a bad idea for regional policy? Probably not. You know, were they introduced because they were seen as the perfect solution to regional policy? Probably not. Um, but like I say, there is a danger. You just get in this kind of cycle of uh, what a politics interferes with the policy, and I think it, it makes people rather rather cynical, unfortunately. No, you won't find a cynical cynical bone in either of our bodies, would you, would you Kerry? That's oh, that's very good. Thing. Like we're we're running out of time, but there was a question I was going to ask uh, around the German model again because. What they've defined, I'll use it as a statement rather than a question then, is that they're rebuilding East Germany, the Aufbau-Ost uh, programme. It's pan-political and each government, whatever the, the makeup of that government, has to continue with the programme until they've successfully created equal living conditions. So it takes that kind of political aspect really out of it. But, you know, I wanted to explore that, but that'll be for another time. Rich, I think you wanted one final yeah, I mean, just to finish up, we got one one last question. Uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Gitto Ivan of uh, Cardiff University, quoted uh, Nye Bevan's criticism of the, one of the first major UK attempts at regional policy, the um, 1934 Special Areas Development and Improvement Act, which Bevan labelled an idle and empty farce, never intended to do anything. I think the question is, will levelling up ultimately do anything? And how and when would we know? 
That's a, that's a killer end question there. Who's going to volunteer to answer that one? Have, have we not warmed you up sp- uh, sufficiently to answer that one? Go well, on, Nick, you were on a roll. I was on a roll. I was on a roll. I'm, I'm um, Mr. Cynical. No, I mean, is it going? No, it won't, because it's, um, it, it was worse to say that it won't do good, good things in some places, but it doesn't have the scale. It's locked into a political project of a of a certain government. Its intentions are vague, as I, as I said about you know equality of opportunity rather than rather than rather than outcome. So you know, I, even if it was successful, then I think how would we know because it's not really been defined specifically what success is. And like I say. You know, it would be a miracle if it wasn't, because we've been doing regional policy, you said, for 100 years, and not, you could argue, as I say, even there's no counterfactual, with any massive success. So we're not hugely good at learning from what we've done in the past, unfortunately. So that's my rather, <laughs> I, hope it, I hope it's different. But, you know, that's my rather sort of downbeat take on that, unfortunately. You know, we've got to be optimistic, haven't we? Because as I keep saying, you know, this is partly what we make of it. And I think, yeah, of course, it's all of those things, the long-term impact, the scale. Um, and I think levelling up will work for me. If it, if it moves beyond being just about capital infrastructure, if it's going to be encompassing enough to look at where we are in terms of innovation spend, uh, research and development, but also the really important social infrastructure aspects of what we're trying to do, how will we know when we get there? I don't know, because I don't think our current measures will be good enough, just GVA and productivity focused. I think if we're going to start to develop real economic, societal well-being measures, they will do a much better job, I think, of telling us if we reach some of these goals. Well, that was a really nice optimistic. There you go, Nick. That's how to that's how to end a podcast. Um, so on that note, uh, I'd like to say thanks very much to both of our guests, Kelly Byrne of the Cardiff Capital Region City Deal. Uh, Kelly, do you have a Twitter handle or some, some such thing that you could share with us? I do, at, at Kelly Byrne. How do you spell Byrne? Because I wouldn't have got this right. The Irish way, B-E-I-R-N-E. The correct way. Amazing. Thanks very much. And uh, Nick Clifton, Professor of Economic Geography and Regional Development at Cardiff Metropolitan University. Nick, are you on the Twitter sphere? I am on the Twitter sphere. I have the rather strange handle of at Franny's Tash. Uh, we F-R-A- shall not ask. <laughs> Double M-Y-T-A-S-H. One of those, yeah, for reasons I won't I won't explain now, but it's yeah. one of those um, one of those things you get on Twitter about sort of 10 years ago. And then you think, maybe I should have chosen something a bit more intuitive, but then you're locked in, so it's too late. I, I would pass over to Kerry the Viking at this point, but um, I, I, we haven't got that much time on the podcast. I know, I know where Nick's coming from. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for your time this evening. If, you, if you've if you enjoyed this episode of Hiraith uh, or even other episodes of Hiraith that feature Matthew Hexter, um, you can find us on Medium at Hiraith Blog Cymru, on Facebook at Hiraith Blog Cymru, and on Twitter at Hiraith Blog. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to Hiraith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.